this is the quote for the week. I, I found this quote by Mark Twain, called my mother. We had a good laugh on the phone. It's true. Mark Twain said, my mother had a great deal of trouble with me, but I think she enjoyed it. <laughs> my son was having a very uh, difficult conversation with his mom, and it got pretty loud. I stayed out of it. After she walked out of the room, I walked in the room and I said to him, here's the truth, you listen to me. Listen to me right now. What you do in this circumstance does not matter to me that much. But you're making your mom miserable, and if she's miserable, I'm gonna be miserable. <laughs> and that means you're gonna be miserable. So I don't care what you do, just listen to your mother and make her happy, okay? <laughs> well, she won't leave me alone. She's in my business. I said, look, your mom's going to be in your business forever. I'm 55, and my mom is still in my business, okay? I want to tell you right now, next year, Mother's Day, I'm not going to be here. I'm not coming because I've been a minister for 30 years, and hold me to this. Hold me this. Next year I'm going to go home and spend Mother's Day with my mom and somebody else can preach on Mother's Day for all you other mothers here, okay? So I'm going to do that next year and uh, I'll be glad I did that. Either I'll bring my mom up here. One of the two. One of the two. But here's what I love about my mom. Um, my mom is the most consistent, ongoing, loving presence in my life. There will never be another person in my life that's been in my life as long as my mom, ever, for the rest of my life. My mom has taught me two things. She's taught me resilience. She was 16 years old when she married my father. She was 18 when she had me, and I've watched her get up and down multiple times in life, and I've learned resilience from her. One of the things about the women in our life, the great mothers in our life, is that they just live exhausting lives, but they just don't give up. The second thing I learned from my mother is forgiveness. Forgiveness. She's the most forgiving person that I know. I've disappointed her uh, and uh, haven't always done what she wanted me to do. I've said mean things to her, and she just continues to love me and forgive me. And when I think of what God is like, and I think about that unconditional love my mom had for me. I know that God has to be like that, and she got that love from him. So for all you moms who do it well, let me just say, you're awesome, okay? We love you all. Thank you for being great mothers. Now, this sermon has nothing to do with what I just said. Totally unrelated. <laughs> so we're talking, about, we're talking about your character, who you are. And your character, this is the fourth week, the character is, is who you are on the inside. And who you are and the way you show up in the world ultimately, ultimately be, will be revealed by time. Time will reveal your character. Over time, people will find out who you really are. Adversity will reveal your character. You see, your character is all that stuff that's under the surface that shapes your behavior. And you can pretend and fake for so long, but at some point, time and adversity or power, the lack of or, or power will reveal who you are to the world. 
Give person a lot of money, you'll find out who they are. Take away their money, you'll find out who they really are. And temptations, how we generally respond to temptation when life presents us with a challenge. Ultimately, it's our character, who we are on the inside, how we develop the, the, the moral framework of our life that determines the way we live in the world. And so as followers of Jesus, we're called to follow an example of Jesus and to live as Jesus lived, to love our neighbor and so that's why it's important that we, we focus on who we are and ask God to grow what's under the surface. So what I've been talking about then are what I consider five things, and we're going to do number four today, five things. You do these things, and it will dramatically impact who you are as a person. It'll make you happier, healthier, whole, and increase your influence in the world. The first we talked about was thinking about others first. Think others first. The second, expect the best. That doesn't mean denying reality. It's not just sort of a false optimism. It's a hope. You look at the world and you say, this is not the way it's meant to be. But because God is good and because God put me here, I can do something about it. And there's something wonderful that can come from it. The third was respond with courage. Are you a person who, when faced with a problem, walks around it, or do you walk through it? Courage. To live life courageously. The fourth, then, is the hunger for wisdom. Wisdom. There's a difference between being smart and, and being wise. There's a difference between having a lot of knowledge and being a wise person. And so people who who develop and grow this sort of character that undergirds the kind of behavior they want to have in the world. There are people who are always asking questions. They're, they're always searching. They are people who make lifelong learning a commitment. And they're always wanting to learn from their experiences. They are people who are slow to judge, but who seek to understand. They don't see the world as just black and white, but they see the world in terms of more shades of gray. And this is how the Bible defines wisdom. The Bible says that wisdom is the ability to make good decisions based on the knowledge and understanding we have gained from life's experiences with God's help. So here's where wisdom comes from. Wisdom comes from when we go through life and we do life and then what happens as we do life, we ask God to help us and to teach us what, are we, what can we learn from this. And that's the first truth I want you to know this morning about wisdom. That there is a lesson to be learned from every experience. Everything in your life. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to you is for a reason. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. Don't believe it at all. Some things happen for no reason. I don't believe that God causes everything to happen to you. There are things that happen every day that are not a part of God's will and plan. But everything that happens in life to you, God can use as an opportunity to grow you. Every experience. And so that leads me then to talk about this great story. There's this great narrative in Scripture 
about a king who was known to be a very wise king. His story is very fascinating. And his name is Solomon. And there's a good part of the, the Hebrew scriptures that, are, that are, tell his story of his life. And some major parts of the scriptures that have been attributed to Solomon. Attributed to Solomon. One is Proverbs. Proverbs, these great life lessons. And then the other is the book of Ecclesiastes. Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs are all considered to be a part of the wisdom literature. Here's what's interesting about Solomon and his life. It's really remarkable that he became the king of Israel because of where he came from. He became king of Israel because his mom and dad had an affair. He was the son of an affair and a scandal. David slept with a woman that was not his wife, then planned the death of her husband when he was king. That set in motion a whole set of terrible family circumstances for David and for his family and sent David into a downward spiral and created a tremendous amount of unhealthiness and dysfunction in his family. But here's what's really powerful. That in spite of all that, in spite of the origin of Solomon's life, Solomon was still chosen to do a great thing. That's a powerful lesson for us, and we can take a lot of wisdom from that. Some of you grew up in some very difficult family situations. Some of you grew up in some very flawed homes. Some of you may have a flawed home right now. Some of you are wonderfully, amazingly, and beautifully dysfunctional people. But what this lesson tells us is that that God could choose Solomon to be the king of his people. God can use you. There is nothing in your past. There's nothing in your background. There's nothing about who you are. Nothing so broken and dysfunctional and flawed that God can't use you to do a great thing. Because God's best work is done with ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The other thing is about Solomon. He knew something. Because he looked at his father, and he saw how his own father was able to overcome many of the adversaries in his life, external adversaries. But ultimately, it wasn't his father's external adversaries that defeated him, but it was the ones on the inside that defeated him. And the truth is for every one of us is that the greatest challenge we face in life is not how we manage and deal with other people, but how we deal with ourselves, how we deal with our own internal demons, our own fears, our own weaknesses. And so wisdom, wisdom begins to really know, know who is our target and who is the real enemy. The real enemy to the good things in our life is the enemy within ourselves, the things that we have to work with on our, inside of our own life. And so Solomon was smart enough to ask for it. This is what happened. So in 1 Chronicles 1, 7 through 12, it says the night that God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. Imagine that. God, you can have anything you want, God says to Solomon. And Solomon, because he knew all these things about his own father, he knew all about what was in front of him. He said, you showed Great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you've made me king in this place. Oh, Lord God, please continue to give your promise to David, my father. Keep your promise, 
For you've made me king over people that are as numerous as the dust. Therefore, he says, give me wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. Because who could possibly govern this people of yours? Imagine that. He's having the humility to know what he needs to know. He's saying, I don't know how to lead. I'm going to need wisdom to be able to lead your people. I'm going to need your help. And then God said to Solomon, because of your greatest desire is to help people, and you do not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies or a long life, I'm going to give you all those things. I'm going to give you wisdom, but then I'm going to bless you with wealth and riches and all of those things also too. Here's the second truth. The beginning of wisdom is knowing what you don't know. Think about that for a minute. You know who's the most dangerous person on the earth? It's the person that's put in a position of leadership who doesn't know what they don't know. It's the person who thinks that they have all the answers. Uh, Corey Miller, for example. <laughs> Corey, Corey uh, youth minister on our staff, graduated from McAfee. And we were talking this week, and Corey told me, he said, the breakthrough came for him at Truett Theological Seminary when his professor said, you didn't come here to get answers. You came here to learn to ask good questions. And I remember the breakthrough that came for me was when I became a minister, I thought I had to have all the answers. People come up and say, David, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I would be just scared because I thought I had all the answers. The breakthrough came for me when I finally started saying, that's a great question, I don't know. That's a great question, I don't know. Or the great one is, is uh, what is heaven going to be like? And I, now I say this, I don't know, I think it's going to be good, but I'm not sure I'm ready to find out right now. <laughs> so, it's, so wisdom begins when we say, you know, I don't know. We spend way too much time in the church trying to come up with all the answers instead of just spending time, more time wondering, being curious, and asking good questions. So here's what he says, Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you can desire can compare with her. There's a lot of people in the world that have a lot of material wealth but lack the one thing that would give them happiness, which is understanding what's important and what's not important. And wisdom's how you know the difference. And you stop, when you're a wise person, you'll stop comparing yourself to other people and looking for satisfaction and happiness in the things that we think will make us happy that haven't made them happy. Superficial things, like identifying yourself with your wealth and your career as opposed to by your relationships and by what you do for other people. And he goes on and says, she offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in your left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Doesn't it sound like 
Uh, he's saying that wisdom is like our moms. Dads are not so smart. That wisdom is a feminine trait. Sorry, dads. So here's the third truth. The third truth then is this, that every one of us has a, a kingdom for influence. Your influence is not determined by your title or position, but by who you are. And if you've been given this responsibility of a certain area of life, no matter how big or how small, you need wisdom. That the greatest responsibility of your life is the stewardship and the faithfulness you have to what you've been given and to be responsible for it. How are you going to lead? Is your influence going to be positive or negative? Is it going to be encouraging or is it going to be discouraging? Now, here's the part that really, really is exciting to me. I mean, it's all exciting, but this is even more exciting. Because Proverbs written by Solomon, and a lot of people don't know this. If he also wrote Ecclesiastes, you go, how did those two books end up in the Bible? Because in Proverbs, you know what he says? If you do this, this will happen. If you're good, you'll get good things. If you're bad, you'll get bad things. If you're good, thing, good, God will reward you with riches and wealth. That's what Proverbs says. But you know what Ecclesiastes says? You can be good and get a lot of bad. Everything in life doesn't add up like A equals B equals C. You can be bad and get good. You can do all the right things and have everything taken away from you. Life, as I thought, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Everything is meaningless, meaningless vanity. It's written by the same guy. Is he bipolar? <laughs> not, make, not making fun, but is, what's going on here? No, what happens is Proverbs are, are true to some extent. Proverbs are written by a person with a younger mind. But Ecclesiastes are written by a person who's experienced a lot of life. Yeah, if you do good things, good things will happen. But at the same time, it's, it's not all like that. There's a whole big mystery to life that doesn't all make sense. And this is what's so cool. This is so cool because we think the Bible is just this guidebook, this rule book. You do all these things. No, the Bible asks all these great questions. The Bible is true of our experience. We think we do this, we get this. Yeah, sometimes that happens, but sometimes it makes no sense at all. So here's what he says. He says in Ecclesiastes 2.17, So I came to hate life because everything done here in the sun is troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing after the wind. And he goes on and says this. And he says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He planted eternity in the human heart. You know what he means when he says that? What he's saying is that the confusion that we have about life creates an, an, a vacuum inside of us, kind of an emptiness that causes us to look up. Because if we could just get the answers for ourselves, we would have no need for something beyond. He's saying because life is complicated and mysterious, we need something bigger. Because look what he says. Because we can't see the scope of God's work from beginning to end. Don't you love that the Bible has these conflicting points of view within it? It's amazing. That's the way life is. Look at truth number four then. Wisdom is gained when our beliefs are challenged by our experiences. Think about that for a minute. I thought life was like this. I thought my life was going to be like this. And then suddenly, we had twins. 
I thought my life was going to be like this, and then suddenly this hardship and misfortune occurred. I thought the world, I thought that all liberal people were like this. I thought that all conservative people were like this until I tried to understand one and realized, well, maybe that's not necessarily true. This happened for me over and over again. When I was a student at Texas Christian University, I was taking these Bible classes. I went there to get answers, just like Corey. And suddenly I found all the things that I once believed, my firm beliefs being challenged by what I was learning. It was kind of like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Somebody pulled back the curtain and you could see the man behind the curtain operating the levers. And I saw inside scripture and some of the things I thought I believed weren't true anymore. And it challenged me and I faced a challenge. The challenge was, do I close the curtain back and pretend? Do I close up and ignore and become more rigid in my belief systems? Or do I open up and realize that God's too big for my theology? That God's too big for the way I interpret the world? That God's too big for me to judge another person inferior because of who they are for any reason, for their race or their sexual orientation or anything? That God's too big for any of that for me to take my narrow understanding of the truth and apply it to another human being. But instead to be open, to continue to open and open and open and open. I keep wanting to close and close and close. But what is wisdom? Wisdom comes to those who just keep opening up and opening up and opening up. And this is my observation. My observation is that spiritual maturity is not growing more firm in our beliefs, but trusting God in the mysteries of life. It's the ability to listen to contrarian points of view and to hold them in tension within ourselves and to realize that in asking hard questions and really struggling with things, we meet God in a way that we would never know. That's where wisdom comes from. Am I connected with anybody this morning? Am I just talking to David Emery this morning? You know, this, this, and let me say, this is, this is the kind of church we want to be. It's why we open the door to everyone. It's why we want to be a church that's a place to ask good questions and have real conversations. It's why we place a premium on the idea of the diversity of belief and freedom of opinion. To make room for people. It's why we don't see the world as just liberal or conservative or black or white. But they realize that God is found somewhere in the midst of all of it. And that's why my second observation then is, maturity is seen in fewer complaints about others and a deeper commitment to learning. It's kind of trying to figure out what's wrong with everybody else. What's wrong with what people believe. I'm just a student on this earth and I'm just trying to learn and grow. And God has given us this wonderful scripture to study, to learn, and to, God's put eternity in us. And then my last comment is this. A hunger for wisdom is the difference between being smart and being wise. Can I suggest something to you? Do you know that when you're trying to um, change your appetite, Sometimes you have to start eating different things. Or you have to fast in order to reset your metabolism. 
maybe we need to fast on a few things. Maybe we need to fast from our busyness. Maybe we need to fast from the noise. Maybe we need to put a little more quiet space in our life. Maybe we need to spend a week not paying attention to social media or watching the news. Maybe what we need to do is to create some space in our life so that we can hear from God and just spend some time wondering. You know what might happen if we did that? If we were to fast like that, it might change what we're hungry for. And we might begin to see the world a little bit differently, a little bit healthier. We might be a little more happy. And you know what? I guarantee it will happen. Everything around us will start to change.